we are going to start a new series tonight um, called Names of Jesus. And over the next uh, few weeks, we're going to look at a bunch of the different names of Jesus. Throughout all of scripture, Jesus is referred to by so many different titles, names, and descriptions. And I just wondered if we've ever stopped to reflect and to wonder and to ask ourselves why that is and then what hidden depths and treasures maybe we can get out of those things. My hope for us is that we could see Jesus more clearly as a result as we go into the second half of this year. Uh, The message title tonight is Who Do You Say That I Am? And we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 16. So let's turn there. Matthew 16, and we're going to read verses 13 through 20. 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray again. Father God, come and have your way. I'm asking, Father, for a revelation from the Holy Spirit as to the person of Jesus Christ that we would see you truly and rightly for who you are. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Do you know what I hate? Um, And it's mostly just because I'm bad at it and it's embarrassing. But um, it's kind of random. But do you know whenever people like see something something a long way off and they'd be like, they'll call your attention to it like, look over there, do you see the possum in the tree? I hate that. I hate it so bad because I'm terrible at it. I try so hard. I give 110%. I overlook and I can never find it. Like, it would be like, can you see the big blue clock in the back of the room? I'll be like, which one? I don't see. Where is it? Is it I? Where? Uh, no. Is it high or low? Where is it? No, I see it. No, I see it. And I just will make it up. It's so embarrassing. I have this deep need to be involved and to be a part of things. And then when I can't, it's, oh, it's my least favorite thing in the world. I have vivid memories from my childhood of like my whole family seeing like deer on the side of the road and me being like, but I don't see it. And just feeling miserable. (laughs) Just wanted to confess that to you tonight. Um, But do you know what I'm really good at? Do you know what I'm really good at? Do you remember the Magic Eye 3D puzzles? Remember those books? They had like a, just a, like a repeated image and you would have to like hold it really close to your face and then slowly pull it back and you had to kind of let your eyes go out of focus and then like a 3D image. Do you guys remember this? Is anybody with me? Okay, yeah, and then you could see it and some people were terrible at it, but I was great at it and I could always see them and then no matter kind of like how you move the page, you can just, it kind of like moves and shifts. Do you know that? I'm so good at those. <laughs> 
And I just was thinking about that because I thought it was funny that sometimes when something's a f- far way off and other people are pointing at it, I have a hard time seeing it. But sometimes when something's right in front of my face and I stare at it for a long time, it comes to life for me. And I wondered if that's like any of our faith when it comes to seeing Jesus rightly. Is for some of us, he's, he's a long way off and a lot of people are, are pointing at him. And saying, look, he's so good, he's so faithful, he's so kind, he's so, he's so merciful, he provides for me every day of my life, and he's my best friend, and I just, I just love him so much. Do you see him? And your story is like, I don't, I don't see him. I don't see him like that. But they're going, no, no, you see, like, look, look at my life, look how, how free I am, and, and I love the Lord, and my kids are great. And you go, but look at, look at my, I, 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 don't, I don't see him here. And I wondered if, if for some of us, it's hard to see him when he's a long way off and others are pointing at him, but maybe it would be easier for us to see him if we brought him close and we stared at him for a while. And if we let our mind and our eyes just be focused on him and we didn't look at all the other things, we didn't listen to what everybody else is doing, but we just, we just deeply looked at the word of God and what it reveals about who Jesus is. If we deeply studied his name, his person, his character, his story. If we didn't just rely on the testimony of others, but if we created a testimony for ourselves as we sought the Lord, would he come to life on the page for us? And will we see him in a way we've never seen him before, such that no matter the twists and turns of life, our eyes would be locked on him, And all we would see as things happen is different dimensions of the one glorious God. That's my hope for this series in the next few weeks. We're going to look deeply at the Savior. And I hope hope your eyes go out of focus for everything else. And I pray that he would leap off the page. And you would see him like you would just be so fixed on him that he would transform you from the inside out. Because you need to have a revelation about who Jesus is. He makes that very clear. Not we need to have a revelation. We do. But you do, too. Specifically. You know, Jesus, he asked Peter, he says, who do they say that I am? Who do they say? What does the world say? What do other people say about who, who I am? And Peter says, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah, which, by the way, three amazing prophets, three amazing men. I would be happy to be mistaken for any of them. I like to joke, like I I call Tellus John the Beloved, you know, John the disciple who just wants to recline next to Jesus and put his head on his chest and just sit at table with him. Like that's, if you know Pastor Tellus, that's, he would be happy. He was sitting on the floor during worship. I'm surprised he didn't take his shoes off. All he wants to be, John the Beloved. I feel more like Peter. I'm like, come out, my God. I'll cut your ear off. Don't, don't jump off the boat. Let's go out the boat. What's going to happen? I don't know. We're going, though. I'd be happy to be mistaken for Peter. I could be John. They say he's, he's maybe a prophet, maybe, maybe a great teacher. Who does the world say that Jesus is? Because if you listen to who the world says that Jesus is, and if you let the world define him for you, chances are you'll get it, you'll get it all wrong. 
Jesus was none of those things. And those things were great. Those were great men. Those were amazing prophets and teachers. Their word is inscripturated in the canon of the Bible. That's no little thing, but Jesus is no little thing either. He's a much bigger, he's a much bigger thing. So, so we, either, we either rely on the world's definition of Jesus or we just repeat what we've heard and the proclamation of our mouth has no power because it has no depth of understanding of what the words we're saying actually mean. We say, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. That's what they say in the church. And you can say that. But if you haven't had a revelation of what, what Lord means, it means master. You know that? It means master. He's the master of your life. Now, we think of masters, and there's a lot of bad connotations that come to mind because human masters are, are rarely ever good. They're always selfish. But if you, have, if you have looked closely at Jesus and what it means for him to be the Lord of your life, you realize there are some things you have to lay down for him. But you also realize that everything he leads you along is for your good and for his glory. And so to give my life over to the lordship of Jesus, when I can say he's lord of my life, if he tells me to go, I go. If he tells me to speak, I speak. If he tells me to get on my knees, I get on my knees. I don't have a choice. He's my master. He's my lord. And I choose him. And I experience the blessing and the faithfulness of God when I, when I choose him. But we can say Jesus is Lord. Kanye says it. Anybody can say it. But there has to be something that comes out of of our mouth that stems from a place of personal revelation. Jesus asked Peter, but what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And I believe tonight he's asking us that, that same exact question. Who do you say that I am? am, which lets me know that the revelation of the identity of Jesus is a personal one. It's personal. Every single one of us needs to have something to say to answer the question, who do you say that Jesus is? And it can't just be something you've heard. It's got to be something that's been revealed to you. It's got to come from the inside out. It can't come from your mom or your dad or your grandmother or your five closest friends. It's got to come from you. Jesus looks at Peter closely. Who do you say that I am? There's a personal revelation that each of us needs to have on the person of Jesus. And there is also a general revelation that we should all have, which is to say this. He has to be the same thing to all of us. You can't have a personal revelation of who Jesus is that's different from what the Bible says that he is. Okay? That's very important. Let me say it like this. The revelation might be new to you, but it's not new. Okay? We have the canon of scripture. We have the history of the church. We have the testimony of many who testify to who Jesus is. That has to be revealed to you personally, but it's also revealed to us generally that we know through the Bible what it is. And I think it's worth belaboring that point because this is a fantastic problem in our culture. We all have a personal revelation of who Jesus is and who Jesus is, 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 is just whatever I want and need him to be. I hear it all the time. Jesus loves me. What's it? Yeah, they, they say, they say, they, they say, they say, Jesus knows my heart. He loves me and he'll bless me. And now individually, I agree with all three of those things. I believe Jesus knows your heart. I believe he knows it's desperately wicked. 
I believe he knows it's sick above all else. I believe he knows it cannot be trusted. I believe he knows it is stony and hard and I believe he knows your heart. And I, and I believe that he loves you. I believe that he loves you so much that he would go to the cross himself to die for you so that you wouldn't because of the sin that, that, that ruins your soul. And I believe Jesus loves you so much he takes that sin so seriously that he would take upon himself the wrath of the judgment of the God Almighty so that you wouldn't. I do believe he loves you. And I believe he'll bless me. I believe he'll bless you if you repent and turn and follow him and call him Lord of your life. But if you take the name of the Lord in vain, I don't believe you'll experience the blessing of the Lord in your life. So you do need a revelation. You do need something to say about who Jesus is. But it has to be general to who the Bible says that he is, who the church has affirmed him to be. It has to fit within something, but it has to be revealed to you. And it's of, it's of utmost importance that it comes out of your mouth. And it's of utmost importance that there's a conviction in your soul about the identity of who Jesus is. Because that is no small declaration. Like, we make it an easy thing to say, but to identify Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the literal Son of God, not like we're sons of God, but as the Son, a part of the triune God, is no little declaration. That's one statement that changes everything else that you believe. That's one belief that informs every other belief in your life. That's one statement that should shape everything about who you are and what you do. You have to say from your mouth who you believe God to be. And when you do, that ought not be an easy thing to say. There ought to be some weight on that word because it shapes everything about your life. I like to think of it like this. I believe that what you hear becomes what you think, right? What you listen to becomes what you think about. Podcasts, music, sermons, teachings, etc. What you hear shapes what you think, and what you think about becomes what you say. Because the thoughts that you have, you got to express them and process them. So what you hear becomes what you think, and what you think becomes what you say. And what you start saying is what you start believing, this is why we say you don't speak death over yourself. Don't speak poorly of yourself. Don't tell yourself what you're bad at. Tell yourself how good God has graced you and how, what you're good at. Because what you say becomes what you believe and what you believe becomes what you do. Let's do it again. What you hear becomes what you think. What you think becomes what you say. What you say becomes what you believe. And what you believe becomes and forms what you do with your life. So my question is what have you heard from God about who Jesus is? What have you heard from God about who Jesus is because that should be something to think about and something to talk about and a belief to hold that shapes your actions and everything you do. This revelation about who Jesus is, it does not come by flesh and blood. Jesus is very clear to Peter when he says that. This is the root of revelation, by the way. Sorry, guys, in the back. That's our first point. I've been in it for a minute. This is the root of revelation. What you believe about Jesus has to be revealed to you before it can be professed by you. 
Jesus says to Peter, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. You know, in Ephesians 2, it says you are saved by grace through faith. And this is a gift from God to you, not based on anything you could do, not based on your works. It's a gift God gives you so that no man can boast. The faith you have to believe in who Jesus is is a gift that God gives to you. It's not revealed by flesh and blood. It's revealed from the Father. So how do you get it? Because let me tell you what, Revelation just doesn't hit you in the face as you're walking down the street. Revelation doesn't jump in the car with you as you're just on your way to work. Revelation comes by seeking it and asking for it. What does Jesus say in Matthew 7? Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Ask and the answer will be given to you. So how do you get the revelation of who Jesus is? You have to desire it. You've got to ask God for it, and you've got to trust that he will give it to you. How do you know if you have the revelation? Well, um, if you've just been told it, nothing about your life will have changed. You want to know if you had a revelation about who Jesus is? Look at the fruit of your life. If you've just been told it, it's just an interesting fact, as much as it is that I could tell you that a blue whale's heart is five feet long and weighs 400 pounds. Interesting, doesn't change my life in any way. Not a revelation. But it has, if it has been revealed to you, you know because there's, a, there's an unsettledness in your soul about how you've been living and acting and being. And there's something you know that has to change. Everything about my life has to be radically transformed because I now understand the truth about who God is to me. I get that revelation. I've desired it. So it changes everything for me. Some of us have been around church too long to, to know that we even have to ask God for it. We think we can just catch it by being in the atmosphere. And I just want to challenge you tonight with that thought. Have you sought a revelation from God about who Jesus is? And do you see the fruit in your life coming from a changed heart? Or are you the same person you were then as you are now and nothing has changed? Because my guess is maybe God has not revealed to you the truth about Jesus because maybe you've not desired it. I just want to challenge you. I don't want you to doubt your faith. I don't want, there's some type A people who are very saved that are like freaking out right now going, maybe I'm not saved, Lord. I don't know. I've got to get baptized a fourth time. I, maybe, a, oh God, I'll take discover discipleship. I'm not trying to get you to freak out and doubt your faith, but I think that there are some who have just been around, who have heard it, but have not received it. And I want you to receive it. Because Jesus is clear, to understand who I am, it must be revealed to you. It can't just be told to you. This is where the root of revelation comes from. The second point is the blessing of believing. I believe that there are limitless blessings that come from properly identifying Christ. Limitless. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives the right response. And how good is that feeling when you have the right answer? Oh my goodness, if you're like me, I hated being in class or sometimes in church and they like give you the first half of the sentence and they expect everybody to know it and you're like, I don't. <laughs> and you go like, John 3.16, for God so loved the... Ah, come on, that felt good, right? You got it. Some of y'all jumped right on it because you just wanted to have it, right? I'm so glad we all know what Psalm 119.11 says. How good... 
You don't, okay. We all know, you know HP, yeah, we all know. That feeling is terrible, but Peter had the right answer. Peter knew the answer. He says, you are Christ, the son of the living God, and he identifies him as what? Two things, as the Messiah, the Savior, and as the deity, the son of God. He accurately describes his relationship with the father. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, identifies him. You call me the son of God. I call you the son of Jonah. That's all that means. Fun fact. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. We talked about that. That revelation has to come from God. But then he says, and I tell you, Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So there's so many amazing things that are happening here all at once. First is this. Peter rightly identifies Jesus, so Jesus re-identifies Peter, okay? Peter rightly identifies Jesus, and so Jesus now re-identifies Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of God. Blessed are you. Flesh and blood did not say that to you. You are Peter, all the rock on whom I will build my church. Here's what I want you to know. You cannot be properly identified until you properly identify Jesus because your identity comes from the Father. Your identity, you cannot properly know who you are until you properly know who Jesus is because it is the job of the Father to name the child. How, do you, how many of you know the baby doesn't tell mom and dad what my name is? When he comes out the womb, you know that, right? We're intentional with names. It's the responsibility of mom and dad to name the child. We were intentional with Logan's name. Logan is a Scottish word, comes from a Scottish root that means tree. Because we believe that our verse for Logan was from Isaiah 61 that said he will be an oak of righteousness. So we're going to call him Logan, the tree. And over his crib when he was born is, is a sign we made that says he will be an oak of righteousness. And it stands in his room to this day because we are prophetically declaring over his life from the moment he was born that you will stand tall, stand firm, and stand righteous for all of your days. We were intentional. We didn't flip open the name book and go, Jerome. Why y'all say ope like that? I'll do it again. We didn't flip open a book and go, Mark, is that better? Okay, goodness gracious. There ain't Jerome in the room. I'm sorry. Pastor Tiffany will apologize to you after service. All I'm saying is we were intentional. We were intentional. We were intentional. We named Levi intentional as well. Levi from the tribe of Levi, the Levites, the one tribe that was set apart from all of the other tribes. We believe Levi would be set apart in his life. It means joined in harmony, and we believe that he would be joined to our family in harmony, and he and his brother, best friends from the moment they got together. We were intentional. Judah, from the lion of Judah, from the tribe of Judah, that this little one would have a mighty roar, that he would be bold for the gospel. And let me tell you what, he is the loudest of my children. And we call him Judah the lion. All I'm saying is this, the child does not name himself. It's the job of the father and of the mother to bestow a name upon the child. But they did not get that privilege until they were born into our family. And you don't get the privilege of your new name until you're born into his family. What is the name that God has spoken over you as he has re-identified you? 
This moment of baptism, it makes me so weepy for these children. It moves my heart and my soul so much because what is happening is God is identifying them. He's marking them. He's speaking over them a truth about their life. You are created for the purposes of glory and beauty. Oh my gosh. I can live on that. God has a creative work in you. You will build and shape and make things. That's that's what God has made you to be. He is identifying them at their moment of rebirth. You don't know how powerful that is. You just thought it was fun encouragement, Pastor Mark, just having a good time. This is powerful stuff. This is why we got 10 people filming every all these little kids. It was so good. We had DJ filming up here. I mean, come on, it's so good. There's something powerful that happens when you're born into the family of God. A new identity, a new name is given to you. Maybe you didn't have a moment of baptism like this in a prophetic word, but maybe you've got someone who disciples you, who can speak life over you, who calls gifts out of you. Maybe the word of God has stirred your heart. God has revealed something to you through scripture. And, that, and you're just going, this is my sense of purpose. This is my sense of calling. This is, this is who I am. When God calls you by a new name, that's no little thing. That's a powerful thing. It's one of the blessings of believing. But God doesn't just give you a new name. He calls you a new name that is tied to your purpose. Peter, the rock upon whom I will build my church. Tellus, the preacher upon whom I will build my church. Sarah, the encourager, upon whom I will build my church. JC, a son of God, upon whom I will build my church. Paul, the faithful. Marcus, the father, upon whom I will build my church. All of us are a part of a divine calling to build something for God in this space, and he has marked each one of us uniquely and individually so. It's a powerful moment when the Father renames you according to your purpose. And for each one of us, what we are a part of building. You have individual calling and career and all of that true, yes, and unique to you. But one thing we all share in common is we're all a part of building the house of the Lord. We are the body of Christ and many members of it. And the amazing thing is that the things that God builds stand the test of time. Everything that man has built, every great civilization is lost to history. But the things that God builds, he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as you look back over the course of history, empires rise, empires fall, businesses rise, businesses fall, leaders rise, leaders fall, people rise, people fall. And yet there's this little movement that started in an upper room 2,000 years ago with just a handful of believers praying and prophesying and speaking in tongues. They face persecution at every level. Members of this movement have been martyred throughout all of history, oppression at every level, natural and spiritual. Accused, accosted, blamed, renamed, raked through the mud, the worst things that you can think to happen to extinguish this little fire, everybody has tried, and yet the gates of hell have not and will not prevail against it. It spreads in the most hostile and harsh environments and it will continue to spread. Here is all I'm trying to say. The blessing of believing is that God, uh, he renames you identity. He calls you purpose. And what he builds in you stands the test of time, legacy. All from rightly identifying who Jesus is. 
Do you understand how ridiculous this is? Can we give God an ovation for his generosity to us for that? But there's more, because there's always more with God. Jesus goes on to tell Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want you to know that the right key can open any door. So I've been thinking about this series as I've been reflecting on the names of Jesus and how he describes himself as he's described in scripture as I think about the story of the Bible and how he's revealed to us time and time again, I feel like I felt when I was staring at, at the magic eye, 3D puzzles. It's just that the longer that I look at him, the more I see. And the image that I have is just that of, instead of just that repeated pattern, it's just these many names of Jesus, it says son of God, son of man, ancient of days, Jehovah, son of Adam, Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, the holy one of Israel, the great physician, the great amen, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, the life, the door. I just see all the names of Jesus and it's as I stare into those names, it's like an image comes and lifts off the page for me. And it's the image of a key. It's not a decorative key that you put up in your house that says, like, hope lives here. It's not a key. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's too much. <laughs> uh, but it's not. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a key you wear for jewelry. It's not a key you look at. It's a key you use. It's a key you use. As I've looked at the names of Jesus, the image I see is that of a key. It's a key that's used for unlocking things. Because when you rightly identify who Jesus is to you, things begin to unlock in your life. Okay, let me say it like I really mean it. When you rightly call upon the name of Jesus, he is the key that begins to unlock your heart. That stony heart, that hardened heart, it unlocks and you soften to receive the forgiveness of God for your sin and his healing. For the word says, I will take your stony heart and I will give you a heart of flesh as I put my spirit within you. The name of Jesus is a key that unlocks the mind. We begin to think differently. We begin to be renewed from the inside out. For the word says, you will be renewed by the transforming of your, of your mind. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The name of Jesus is a key that unlocks the will and the desire and you begin to want different things in your life for we forget what lies behind, we reach for what lies ahead and we press on towards the upward call of Christ. The name of Jesus is a key that unlocks the kingdom of heaven for you and for everybody else for by no other name shall we be saved but by the name of Jesus. I don't know if you're understanding me, maybe I need keys behind me but the name of Jesus is it unlocks things in your life. It opens you up to receive something from God that you don't get in any other way. He softens your heart. He unlocks spiritual gifts and you get to see him move in your life. He unlocks provision over your life, grace for your family, leadership for your business. He unlocks things in your mind, sin patterns that you're stuck in. He opens you up to see things differently. He is the key that unlocks your hard heart. The name of Jesus 
is a key, and I'm so grateful because this has been what I've experienced in my life, is that he has opened me up to things I never thought possible. He is a key that unlocks. But keys don't just unlock. Keys also bind things up. Keys also lock things up. Keys also put things away so that they can never come out again. And as much as Jesus, in the name of Jesus, will unlock your soul to receive the goodness of God, the mighty name of Jesus is a key that can put some things away that you never have to see again. That guilt and that shame that you're walking with, the word of the Lord is lock it up and put it away. That fear and that bondage that you're keeping, the name of Jesus is powerful to put it away and to lock it away. That anxiety that messes with you, the name of Jesus binds it and puts it behind bars in your life. The name of Jesus is a mighty key, not just for releasing, but for binding and putting away that which God has not called you to carry another day of your life. And part of our problem is we have not proclaimed the name of Jesus over these areas of our life. We think it is just our, our prerogative to drag with us these, this trauma from our past. But the name of Jesus will set you free from all things. He is a mighty key that unlocks the heart and the soul and binds that which has no authority and power over your life. The blessing of God comes from a name. And that name is Jesus. It is the most powerful name in the earth. And it is no little thing to speak that name. It is no little thing to call upon that name. It's not just a little church game we play. But in the name of Jesus, fear has to fall. In the name of Jesus, depression has to surrender. In the name of Jesus, anxiety has to be released. In the name of Jesus, lust needs to lose its power over my eyes. In the name of Jesus, my sinful thought patterns have to be changed and rewired because Jesus is a key. He unlocks me. He changes me. He opens me up. And he puts away that which I no longer need to carry. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power. There is power. There is wonder working power in the mighty name of Jesus. Demons flee at the mighty name of Jesus. They can't stand where his name is professed and proclaimed. I tell my boys, if you're scared at night, just say, Jesus. 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 All authority in heaven and on earth is given to the name of Jesus. All power is given to the name of Jesus. And if we would desire a revelation fresh for ourselves of who he is, and if we would call upon that name, surrendering our lives to this God, you would see a new identity spoken over your life that is tied to your purpose in the kingdom of God, that builds a legacy for you that lasts the test of time and eternity.
and you will have been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Not just for yourself to enter, for your family to enter, for your loved ones to enter, for your neighbors to enter, for your coworkers to enter. There's binding and loosing power in the name of Jesus. And those who call upon it are never the same. It's a powerful name. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful name. Jesus, we love you. And we come into agreement with the authority and the power of your name. This revelation that you have given to us is no small thing, Lord. We stand firm upon the rock of Christ. God, would you give us that revelation tonight? Those who have never heard it before. Those who have never encountered you before, Lord. Would you reveal yourself to us? And those who know you well. Father, we repent for how we have taken your name in vain. We have made a small thing of your name. And we ascribe in our hearts and our minds and our souls the power and the authority that is given to all who call upon the name Jesus. Reveal yourself to us, we pray. In that name, amen.